the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. And welcome to Education America, where we are taking steps to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Come along with us. K-12 education is the playing field. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, so succinctly stated, he said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. I'm Mark Durkin, joined by my co-host and founder of Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hagstrom. How are you, Rebecca? I am great. How are you today? I'm good. It's wonderful to see you. It's you been too. a sunny couple of weeks we've we had We have here had some beautiful rain. Minnesota fall weather. Yes, it's yes. been gorgeous. I yeah. love the warm Septembers. Absolutely. They've been mm-hmm. beautiful for sure. Well, the basis of critical race theory is the attempt to forever link racial identity with America's history. We've been talking about this now for quite a while here on the program. And while its advocates urge that CRT interprets how racism is embedded in our institutions, school families here in Minnesota and across the country, they're taking notice of how the free exchange of ideas in the classroom, they're being eradicated. But instead, our guest tonight says that when schools teach racial equity, kids will learn fear and anger. Mm -hmm. And joining us in studio tonight to address the dangers associated with the nation's K-12 schools approach to equity is Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a senior policy fellow at Center of the American Experiment. She's also a writer, attorney, and has served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008. She also served as an opinion columnist for the paper between 1996 and 2013. Catherine was a founding director of the Center of the American Experiment and served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. Catherine, thank you once again for joining us here on Education America. It's a pleasure to be with you. Good. Well, the school year has just begun, and the debates surrounding new and expanded racial equity programs are taking center stage at many K-12 schools here in Minnesota. What kind of problems are, or, sorry, what kind of programs are we talking about and what would be the goals of the programs? Well, these are uh, the uh, critical race theory focused uh, mm-hmm. programs that you've talked about on the program a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the goals, the stated goals and the actual goals, let's 
say, <laughs> at least on the part of organizers versus good-hearted teachers who are trying to do their best and don't necessarily you know, buy into or, or even quite know mm-hmm. uh, the, the fundamental goals. The, the, the programs claim to be uh, about um, improving uh, racial justice and uh, developing empathy in students and that kind of things, a thing. Uh, but but really, um, they are, in my view, uh, about uh, dividing us as a nation mm-hmm. into warring racial groups. And as I've thought about this uh, recently, it's occurred to me that there's this kind of underlying message of these programs, drums into kids' heads, um, that they are descended from such unjust people. They live in such an unjust society as oppressors, you know, as a dominant class, that what they really should do is, is hand over to victims uh, the, the, the power to make decisions about what racial justice really requires. In mm-hmm. fact, this is a moral imperative. They try to create that mindset in kids and, you know, basically give away power over their lives. Mm-hmm. And just causing such division, as you pointed out. And I find it, especially with the background of Afghanistan right now, mm-hmm. yeah. um, just the 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 hypocrisy of this notion of oppression in the United States of America um, as compared to what we are seeing in Afghanistan play out before our very Those eyes. Those who are experiencing true oppression. True oppression. True oppression. I've thought exactly. the same thing. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, Catherine, over the summer, you had the opportunity to tour the state with the Center of American Experiment to help educate Minnesota families on this year's proposed social study standards, now the, the second draft of those standards came out over the summer. You, you informed us that the third standards are going to be coming out this Tuesday on September uh, the 28th. Um, but we'll backtrack here just a little bit. What can you tell us concerning the specifics surrounding the proposed standards at the second draft level? And maybe what can we anticipate coming with the third draft level? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so uh, the the... The second draft of the draft of the standards uh, continues to advance the the fundamental quote lens or vision mm-hmm. uh, worldview of the first draft, and this of course is uh, the notion of critical race theory underlying all that race is the foundation of our identity, that our nation is divided into warring uh, race based groups, etc. But one there there are, is one thing that is very well it's new in this third draft and that is that the uh the standards drafters have created uh a, what's called a a fifth uh, uh strand uh, which is ethnic studies uh you know the, the standards are uh, about um, history economics geography citizenship by law and, mm-hmm. and in this new draft, there's this notion of ethnic studies. This is a, a, a sort of a vision that um, has been advanced uh, in, in California, actually adopted recently in, in California. It's, it's really just critical race theory kind of writ large. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's that. Mm-hmm. And then um, there is uh, 
in the geography standards, just, you know, an overwhelming emphasis on, on society as based in, in power groups. Nothing about states and capitals. Uh, <laughs> or I should, it's nothing about, I, I should say, you know, name countries, know where oceans are. Right, you know, which is what geography and, represents. Uh, it's all about power and uh, systemic racism. So, you know, it's more of the same, but uh, mm-hmm. dressed up a bit. Mm-hmm. So just out of curiosity, I know that the uh, first set of standards came under massive fire for not incorporated, not incorporating things like the Holocaust or World War Two and that type of thing. My understanding is while they were included in the second draft, they're still uh, being taught from the perspective of critical race theory. So not really yeah. looking at the war for what what it did to Nazi Germany, but actually looking, uh, or yep. to the rest of the world, but actually looking at it through a critical race theory lens. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, all these things are, there, there's no context. There's no real understanding of history as a mm-hmm. series of chronological developments over the, the human past. It's, it's all filtered through this this lens of mm-hmm. the power struggle and the domination of uh, white white people, basically, wow. <laughs> or blamed for all the evils of the world. Yes, right, right, yeah. Well, when we talk about the new or expanded racial equity programs, which you know we kind of entered into here at the beginning of the show, um, is it the proposed social city standards that are really driving the discussion on those new and expanded racial equity programs? Or do you think they would have been doing these without the social study standards discussion? Oh, yes, yes. It's, it's just multiple fronts in the same, or it's the same people. Right. You know, it's, it's the, the same people in our Minnesota Department of Education and the teachers union, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's all of a piece. Mm-hmm. So curiosity, or out of, out of curiosity then, Let's say um, that somehow, by some miraculous notion, the social studies standards end up remaining what they are today. What happens then with all of these racial equity programs that are being driven across the state? I mean, literally in almost every school district across the state and really nation, but we're just talking about Minnesota right now. Um, how how would they manage that? Would they try to do this outside of the standards as almost like an additional class, or would they just insert them into the social studies curriculum anyway? Would they defy? You know, what do you think about that? Well, it, you know, this this is a, a, a worldview that that permeates the curriculum, depending on the teacher, let's mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. Uh, and to some extent the the school district. But you know. Uh, teaching tolerance kinds of, of lessons, uh, uh, math instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are just uh, numerous ways that you can have an overlay mm-hmm. of, uh, of critical race theory. I mean, you think of art, for mm-hmm. example. Um, you know, this, this program I've, I've talked about before that's been taught in, in the school in Edina, of mm-hmm. the, the Melanin Project, is yep. kindergartners, and they're, they're taught to color their hands, trace them, you know, color them the color of their skin, put them on a poster, and then they're lectured about how racist they are. Mm-hmm. They, they don't need yeah. any of <laughs> That's a good standards. point. <laughs> so they would just pivot. They, they would pivot away yeah. from the social yeah. study standards into all the other and all the other which then in some respects begs the question (laughs) why are we continuing to battle against these if the school districts are going to do what they want to do anyway i don't know and the scary thing about that too (laughs) is you know 
types of teachers that are going to be hired for the classroom from this point yeah. going forward. Right. Now there's this 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 test you almost have to go through. Okay, will yeah. you subscribe to the CRT and the racial equity, you know, policies that right. we're pushing? And if not, you can't teach here. Absolutely, absolutely yes. right. So <clears throat> a few years ago, I went through the test, or the, the, just what you're talking about, mm-hmm. Mark, um, the, the sort of questions in job to apply for a job in the Edina schools. And they, this was three, four years ago, and they had all those questions in there. But this is no nothing new for teachers, right? Because our colleges of education are permeated with this. And mm-hmm. so they, they have heard it for four years. And uh, yeah, they just buy into it. They buy into it. Yeah. Some of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and others mm-hmm. are, are you know afraid to uh, to challenge it. Right. Right. You hear that actually a lot, mm-hmm. which I find extremely frightening that people just feel like they can't push back mm-hmm. uh, for fear of losing yes. their jobs. Yeah. But as to why we're doing this, you know, I think raising parents' awareness. If parents would flood school board members, if parents would uh, elect different school board mm-hmm. members and demand a change in leadership, we, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be seeing this. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, that's what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah, right. parent involvement. You know, just on that mm-hmm. note, too, you know, we have elections coming up here in the first part of November for a lot of school board positions. Uh, you know, is there a lot of information out there? that uh, families could be researching to really know the background and the belief systems that a lot of these school board members have? Boy, that, no, I have seen um, suggestions about voter guides, okay. uh, exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about, Mark. But, but you know, how many school districts are there? How are you going to, these are nonpartisan right. elections. That right. try, and they all use the same terminology, you know, right. we're together in unity or right. whatever. Right. You know, right. I don't know what that means on their yeah. side. Yeah. I think just checking with your neighbors uh, mm-hmm. is, is the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, good point. You know, Catherine, what's the feedback from Minnesota families been like concerning the proposed standards that we're talking about here, the first, the second draft, you know, and based on the feedback, is some form of implementation in 2023 still likely, at least from the formal level? We talked earlier about how Mm -hmm. ideas from that are still being drawn upon that could be uh, working towards uh, putting them towards the racial equity policies now. Well, uh, th- this is in- encouraging news uh, in the sense that Center of the American Experiment has uh, back what uh, in last January we launched our Raise Our Standards campaign of public awareness, social media experts, uh, um, advertising. We had a, a petition and uh, you know a comment form uh, that uh, was forwarded from parents to the Department of Education. We had 17,000 comments on this latest draft. Mm, And and this was very much recognized by the the standards drafters. In terms of implementation, uh, there there was um, a, 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 the, the legislature did adopt um, a, a law uh, which said that there would not be implementation of the standards uh, that, that would be put off uh, until, uh, yeah, I believe uh, one year. Yep, yeah, yeah, I think but, it was. But the mm-hmm. problem, of course, is that they they weren't able to to derail the the standards drafting process. Right. So what that would really require is a is a change of leadership at the top mm-hmm. in the state, so mm-hmm. that the legislature and the governor could go back and undo these and do them over. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which we have the election coming up in twenty twenty two, so That's there right. is a possibility of that actually happening. Yeah. 
So you talked about the fact that the third draft of the standards is coming out on Tuesday. Um, with that, what is, you know, after that, what's the next step in the revision process of the standards? And since the legislature isn't consulted, um, what can Minnesota families do to stop the standards from being revised and implemented? Well, uh, at this point, um, when the new, the new draft comes out, uh, there will not be an opportunity for further comments. This will go okay. to, the, to the Commissioner of Education. Uh, as soon as, uh, as she signs off on it, it will go to Administrative Law Judge and through the rulemaking process. And here, I think what the, the center plans to do and other opponents is to is to challenge the standards on the basis of legality. Okay. Uh, that is adding this fifth strand, which is not uh, which is, is, is not according to, uh, to, to law, mm-hmm. um, uh, challenging the standards on the basis that they are, are not clear, uh, concise, measurable, et cetera, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. law requires, and mm-hmm. challenging the, uh, the nature of the committee that's put these together. For example, mm-hmm. business people are, are uh, supposed to be uh, part of this process, and to our knowledge, that that isn't the case, Th- those kinds of, of challenges. Mm-hmm. And what do we know about the administrative law judges? Is there just... I don't know a lot about that process. Is there, are there multiple administrative law judges, or is there just one? Um, yeah, yeah, there are, there are multiple. Okay. Uh, no, so, so this this you know, now is is a, a legal process mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I mean it would be it would it's difficult to to achieve your your goal in that way, uh, okay. but you know it's mm-hmm. the next it's the next step for yeah. us. Yeah. Okay. So assuming, let's let's say that the administrative law judge decides to throw out all of the arguments against the draft standards, does, does it immediately become the new set of standards then at that point, or are there any other steps after that process? Well, that would be that would be the final, that is uh, the final. stage, okay. you know, and, mm-hmm. and then of course with the legislature's uh, uh, decision, yeah, mm-hmm. pushing it, pushing back implementation, yeah, which we do have one more. Mm-hmm. Um, session. I think they were due to take. I thought they weren't going to be implemented until 2024 anyway. But yeah, you know, as, as you're saying that, I'm thinking I need to look back at that. What was the final decision? I mean, it may have been yeah. 2025. I really should know. I that, think but, that uh, might be right because I think it's 2025. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it said they were being pushed back one year, and yeah. I thought the original yeah. year that they would be implemented was 2024. Yeah, that's so. that's I that's correct. Okay. Okay. And just to be clear here too, in this process, if you know lawsuits were to to come up, the legislative branch they have no say in this. Correct. It's really just a, a move right. unilaterally on the executive branch, and the judicial branch would somehow decide the fate of it. Yeah, which is so, shocking, yes. But right? the thing is, if if you did have a legislature and a governor right. who uh, supported a different approach, they could pass a law uh, stating that no new standards could be uh, implemented uh, unless you know, there, there were legislative approval. Mm-hmm. So uh, it would, but it would take that kind of of change. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Catherine, you recently had a conversation with a teacher who described himself as a recovering wokester. If you would share with our listeners what this uh, this teacher came to realize after he supported his school's equity focus, what, was he initially expecting, um, what was he initially expecting to see happen, and what did he <laughs> see as the outcome for students as these equity policies were being implemented? 
Yeah, well, it's such a such a good question. Uh, he, like like so many teachers, um, is very concerned about uh, uh, the racial learning gap. Uh, very uh, much cares about his students. So he supported uh, this equity approach because of its stated goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he uh, he discovered quite quickly that uh, uh, the reality was very different. Yeah. And that's that's the sad thing, because like you say, the language they use all sounds so good. And so I think it's really easy for people, teachers obviously included, to think, oh, yeah, this will be a good thing. This will help. And, you know, I like you said at the very, very beginning, teachers are good hearted, most of them. And they they want to see their students succeed. They want to see all of their students succeed. Exactly. And yeah. And I would encourage our listeners to go back uh, to our podcast, which you can find at savetheclassroom.com, and listen to uh, several episodes that we did back in August with the FAIR organization, which is the Foundation Mm -hmm. Against Intolerance and Racism. They basically talk about how they are working to educate people at the grassroots level of how terms and concepts and methodologies have been hijacked. Mm -hmm. And they they, they present themselves in a certain way in terms of how they're using those words, of Mm -hmm. wanting to bring change that's positive. But ultimately, it's quickly finding out that the agenda is totally different than what's being advertised. Exactly. Yes, exactly right. Um, your point to a book that helped, or sorry, the the book, um, Coddling of the American Mind, <laughs> right? Um, right. You had read that book, and you felt that that book um, could help open the eyes of many teachers, and particularly this teacher. And... Um, he really saw the harm that comes to students as a result of the well-intentioned coddling, quote-unquote, um, which right. is right from the book. Um, right. And this is a problem not only in Minnesota, but across the nation's K-12 schools. What's the name of the book, and what do the authors have to say about the implementation of racial equity policies? Uh, well, the book is called The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure uh, by NYU social psychologist Jonathan Haidt and uh, First Amendment expert Greg Lukianov. And um, this teacher actually told us that we said, well, what, what can we do to, uh, to, to help teachers um, understand the problems uh, that you've come to see after a number of years of you know, real sort of tragic outcomes? Mm-hmm. He said the best thing he could recommend was that teachers read this this book because it, it really opened his eyes. Hmm. And do you know how he got his hands on it? Did he just happen upon it or did somebody give it to you him? Know, I have no, I have no idea. Huh. Uh, but uh, it really, really uh, brought everything into focus for him. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Yeah, I that book really resonated with my with me as well. And, um, you know, I think about how they wrote this book pre-COVID and yet how much more truth um, there is to their thought process of this book of, you know, the safetyism and what have you. We're going to talk about that next week when we have you on um, with the way schools have handled COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's been very yes, interesting. Excellent point, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Yes. Catherine, you had an opportunity also to review the book, obviously. Um, you point to the authors presenting uh, what was deemed as a, as a mountain of social science data uh, that highlights the dangers uh, that are associated with the nation's K-12 schools approach to equity. You know, what does the data suggest? Let's take a few minutes to talk about this, you know, in regards to the current mental health crisis that's afflicting so many young Americans mm. across the country. 
Yes. Uh, so they they talk about these sky high, and as you say, before COVID, uh, rates of anxiety and depression among young people. But they, they make a point that I think is particularly interesting, and that is that uh, children today uh, – overall lag uh, their, their peers from previous generations by a number of years in terms of maturity and uh, their readiness to take on adult responsibilities. I, I've forgotten it's something like the average um, 18-year-old today is, in these respects, where uh, 15-year-olds right. were. I was going to say, I think ago. it's three that years. That, yeah, I think it's yeah, three years, right. Yeah. It's just really, really shocking. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, there's a lot of in- interesting data that they share um, in that book. And I know as, yes. a, as a school leader, and, and you know, I, I run a school where parents don't seem to be as um, oriented in this way as what we see nationwide. Um, but there's still some some of that. And it's been really interesting to um, just even compare the way I parented my kids. Um, My children are all adults now. And then seeing um, how some of it changes over the course of time, even in a school like ours. And um, it is, it is, you know, and again, I'm very thankful because the vast majority of our parents don't subscribe to this, to this notion, but some of them do. And, and when you see, the results kind of right in front of your eyes. You know, it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to see it. And it's really disturbing. Uh-huh. You know, these kids don't, they, they don't know how to um, kind of escape that, that almost being under the microscope kind of all the time. There's just a real sense right. of um, not even just helicoptering, but, you know, I've heard the term lawnmowering, lawnmower parents these days. <laughs> no. um, I think that term came out. Actually, that I might have read that book in this, or I read that term in this book. But, oh, I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, but, but the point is that, you know, parents love their children so much. And um, there is just this notion of we have to protect them from everything. I want them to have everything that I didn't have as a child, and I want to protect them from everything bad that that maybe happened to me. And right. um, that over-controlling nature that can happen. Yeah. Um, and then that spreads because then they, they expect that of the schools. And so then suddenly yeah. schools are now fearful of parents coming after them for this or that and that and the other thing. So then the schools start implementing kind of this over safetyism as well. And we've had to really push back against that at our school and, um, you know, a great book to help um, kind of come alongside this notion is an old book um, that is the war against boys. And that's, that's, what is the name of that author? Do you remember her name? I don't remember. Michael Gurian? Is that Michael Gurian? No, it's a woman, and I just cannot remember her name. It's not Christina Hoff Summers. Yes, that's it. Christina Hoff Summers. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yes. And she talks about, she, she, you know, she wrote that book maybe, what, 15, 18, 20, maybe 20 years ago. And so she saw this coming, and she was specifically talking about boys in that case, but um, a lot of what she was saying really applies um, across the culture now. Yes. So, yeah, yes. very interesting. 
Well, Catherine, it's been really enjoyable talking to you about this topic, and um, I would encourage our listeners to go back and listen to some of these podcasts that we've covered with Catherine on critical race theory, and um, also start paying attention to your local school board elections. In a few weeks, we're going to be bringing some of those candidates onto our show so that they can talk about how they want to change the story for their school districts and, and get the conversation headed back in the direction of of academic excellence rather than talking about critical race theory. Um, so I would encourage our listeners to listen in the upcoming shows. And then next week we'll have Catherine back and we'll be talking about this book more specifically, The Coddling of the American Mind. Absolutely. So, Thanks for joining us tonight, and thank you, Catherine. We always love having you on our show. You are a great, great, great guest. Always very knowledgeable. (laughs) Thanks. All right. And if our listeners would like to check out our podcast with uh, listening to these uh, Mm -hmm. episodes and Mm -hmm. so many more, they can go to savetheclassroom.com. That, again, is savetheclassroom.com. Also, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter. Have a great night. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.